You're listening to the Homegrown Faith Podcast. I'm Joe Clark, and I'm chatting with my fellow pastor and friend, Richard Sweatman, about God, the Bible, and life lived growing our faith in Jesus. This podcast is coming to you from Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle. Joe Clark, good morning to you today. How you doing? And yes, Richard Sweatman. I feel like every time you say Joe Clark, I feel like I need to say Richard Sweatman, but then it's like copying you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> You, you're doing well. I think our yes. intros are our strong point on this podcast, Joe. Oh, oh I, 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 you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, what have you been up to, Richard? Oh, What's been happening? Joe, I thought I'd share with you a fish tank quandary I've got going. At the- oh, no, a quandary. So, uh, like, we've, I've got this fish tank, which I've spoken about in previous podcasts, I think, the snail, which has since died, but that's Oh, no. Story. But um, we've got some healthy fish here some uh, tetras of different kinds. Excellent, but excellent. the trouble is that they are eating the plants, um, and that's normal to some extent, but they are really going after these plants more than I <laughs> thought they would be. And <laughs> so what, is your fish tank looking really ugly? Um, pretty ugly, yes, and needing fish plants replacement. And what I've realised is that I actually like the plants in the tank more than the fish. Like. <laughs> I think that's what I'm wanting is some really nice plants and a few perhaps token fish who are absolutely <laughs> guaranteed not to nibble the fish. Um, and But I have the fish and yes, I can't bring myself to euthanize them. Um, <laughs> even though like, they're literally smaller than cockroaches, but I, I couldn't. It just doesn't feel right. And so um, we'll either keep going with the fish or I'll find a, a family, a home for them, possibly, uh, and we can redo this with plants, but um, it's a quandary. So at the moment, I'm maintaining this fish who are destroying the plants, and that's <laughs> where I'm at at the moment. How many plants have you had to purchase? Like, have you gotten to the point where they've really eaten you out of house and home and you've had to go buy new oh, like, okay. aquatic bought, plants, or is it not yet there? I bought another three for $20 like a few okay. weeks ago. They're already looking a bit tatty. Uh, oh, no. But that's really hitting the hip pocket at that point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of plants called Anubias that are waxy and unpleasant to eat, and they're doing okay, but I don't really want to fill the tank just with Anubias. So. Yeah, you want a, a variety of quite attractive-looking mm. aqua plants. Yeah. Mm. Any, uh, Goodness. Any ideas, advice for me? Well, my next step would be to survey the family. <laughs> what do your boys and Jen think? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. Jen would be keen for the plants as well. Uh, yeah, the boys. Yeah, they could re- react strongly either way. Probably for the <laughs> fish being more normal than me. But so the, then, at that point, the quandary is truly heightened, <laughs> and you need it. You need a, You need a deciding factor. Yeah, mm. it's, it's it's stuff like that. So um, mm. I'll happy to. Oh, leave this it, is fun. Leave the tension there. I'll mm. maybe update you in a few months. See what happens. But uh, yeah, I would like to hear. And I think I just want to affirm that it's okay to want more than one kind of plant in the fish tank because I also think fish tanks, I've considered fish tanks in the past and realised that you have to have fish to have fish tanks because they just look so beautiful when they're, you know, they've got an artful rock or a bit of a piece of wood and then some plants growing. It can be quite lovely and then you've got to maintain the fish and that's the difficult part. That's exactly it, yeah. Mm, mm, How about mm, These are the tensions in life. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) What's been going on? Well, I mean, um, I was cleaning off my fridge the other day and I discovered something that I put on my fridge ages ago and I thought, yeah, this is still good and I'm gonna I'm gonna read it again. Mm-hmm. So the cartoonist Lunig, yeah. um, he published a cartoon and poem 
2017 and I just loved it. And it's, <laughs> um, it's you know how you hear of FOMO and yep. so the fear of missing, fear out. Of missing out. He writes this poem on JOMO, so the joy of missing out. Oh, joy of missing out. Beautiful. Let me read you the poem. Oh, the joy of missing out when the world begins to shout and rush towards that shining thing, the latest bit of mental bling, trying to have it, see it, do it, you simply know you won't go through it. The anxious clamouring and need, this restless hungry thing to feed. Instead, you feel the loveliness, the pleasure of your emptiness. You spurn the treasure on the shelf in favour of your peaceful self, without regret, without a doubt, oh, the joy of missing out. <laughs> and um, well, when I first yeah. read it, I uh, I thought, yes, that's aspirational for me because <laughs> the idea of having um, uh, a peaceful self... <laughs> Is would be lovely, but I don't really identify with a peaceful self. I'm rush around doing lots of stuff. But I actually thought, no, I do have a little bit of peaceful self now. I try to switch things off and slow down a bit on one of my days off and say, yeah, yeah it's just a lovely little poem that I read every so often. Yeah. Oh, that's great. No, thanks for sharing mm. that with us, Joe. Yeah. Like Jomo. Yeah. Uh, I'm into do you that. feel FOMO? No. Nah. Oh, yeah, once or twice a year. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like FOMO if, if I think – Everyone else is doing this and I wish I were invited, but it's not like FOMO as in there are fun things happening and I'm missing out. I, yeah. I don't really feel that. Yeah. But, you know when hmm. you're in some place and everyone's crowded around a screen looking at some funny YouTube video? Yeah. I have no desire to see the YouTube video. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. oh. I just sit there. I think, no, I'll stay where I am. Oh, whereas I'm like, oh, there's a crowd. <laughs> How do I casually approach this and get way into the centre of this action because I want to know what's going on. But I'm happy to spend like hours, days alone at home without yeah, yeah. worrying about what other people are doing. Yeah. So, mm, interesting. Cool. Anyway, um, yeah. you can check out Lunig's um, cartoon to go with it. It's a cute little picture but nothing that really inspired me. But the poem, I really I got a bit of a smile out of it. So. <laughs> Enjoy that new uh, acronym, everyone. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> Yeah. All right. How about Bible stuff, Joe? What are you uh, reading in the Bible lately? Well, I've been thinking about Jesus in the temple in Luke. And I hit upon Luke chapter 2, and first we see Jesus presented, and Simeon and Anna are just amazed to see promises, God's promises fulfilled in Jesus arriving. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to redeem Israel. But the thing that really interested me was the moment when um, the classic, it's almost like Home Alone story where Jesus' parents and his family um, bring Jesus down for to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. This is mm-hmm. verse 41. He's 12. They're at the festival. And then when it's over, they head off heading home to Nazareth. Yeah. But Jesus gets left behind in Jerusalem <laughs> and they have no idea. So it must have been this cloud of family members just like in Home Alone. Yeah. And he, they think he's with them, but instead for the whole day he's not. They're travelling. They realise he's not with them and they're frantic. And it's interesting that in verse 48 um, Mary says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Oh, and I can yeah. just imagine the anxious search of the mum and dad who are just like, where is he? Where is he? Oh, yeah. But all the time, and it's interesting, for three days, I wonder if it's significant that it's three days, but for three days he's in the temple and I'll just read from verse um, 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And I just thought about that. I was like a 12-year-old sitting with 
men who, and I'm guessing it was mainly men, who would have been old, authoritative teachers of the law, getting their scrolls open, and he's sitting there asking questions that show his understanding and giving and giving answers. Mm. Surely there must have been people sitting there thinking, this is no ordinary child. Um, yeah. Just like Simeon and Anna. But no one is described as having that reaction. It's it just moves on quite quickly to the mother's reaction of why 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 did you do this? And then Jesus' answer, which is also lovely in verse 49. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Which you just think, oh, Jesus in his father's house, mm. Father God. Oh, beautiful. But I just was I was just picturing that moment where all these men sitting around with the scrolls and there's a 12-year-old just yeah. showing wisdom from God, profound wisdom, the wisdom of God. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's um, really striking. I think it's one of the very few sort of pictures of Jesus in his uh childhood um yeah yeah and um and i'm mm. sorry you go no no you're just consistent with who we know of jesus as someone who uh loves god loves his word um maybe he was yeah had been reading and discovering um but it's it's beautiful and intriguing and enlightening mm. yeah mm. and i think there's this i had never appreciated i'm sure i've read it hundreds of times the fact that Every year the family went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Yeah. And so as I've been reading later in Luke in sort of 19 to 21 that Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and then heading into the temple courts to debate with the the teachers of the law, etc., that actually it's not unusual for him to be arriving into Jerusalem at the festival of the Passover, but this is the this is the unusual year because this is the one where he knows he's going to die and he predict, predicts it so clearly. And so there's this whole picture of a life, which I hadn't really understood before, of Jesus every year we go to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover mm. and then we go home again and we go again and we come home again and each year he would have been in the temple hearing, understanding, asking questions yeah, and then this fulfillment, I, and so it makes me wonder if the chief priests and teachers of the law, etc., when they meet him again just before his crucifixion, if they if they're actually quite familiar with him or not. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, it's I hadn't had that thought before. Just how regularly Jesus went to the capital. Yeah, it's a bit like um, yeah, the farm kids going into town once a year and yeah, the capital. Except, th- except you'd think this guy is the exceptional farm kid. And everyone knows he's exceptional. Mm. And so it just made me wonder because they seem so struck with awe in some ways at Jesus mm. in Luke, in the end parts of Luke. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think he would have been more known but um, mm. than we might have imagined. But still mm. his, his preaching and teaching, yeah, he, he maybe that styled back um, after yes. the episode in the temple. And yes, maybe it, it, it just sort of. Is present but not authoritative in his speech. Yeah, wait, waiting mm. for his hour to come. Yeah, yes, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, enjoying the Gospels. Yeah, no, fantastic. Thanks for sharing mm. that one. Mm. And you've been reading about polygamy. Oh, well, not reading, actually listening this time. Yeah. Ah, you've um, changed, Richard. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not very much, but uh, – <laughs> I think um, the topic of polygamy has come up a little bit because I'm, I'm doing some teaching in uh, to Samuel and David had many wives and, um, mm. yeah, some of our growth groups are studying um, the patriarchs at least for one study and, and they've got, you know, some of them have more than one wife and so 
I thought, oh, I might have a, th- a think about this. And I was aware that um, you know, Philip Jensen did a talk for the Priscilla and Aquila Centre back mm. in 2016 on this, on the topic of polygamy. That's that's a kind of uh, uh, men and women in ministry kind of organisation running out of Moore College and they do great stuff. I've, I've been to some of the things. And I thought, oh, I'll listen to, to Philip. And do you know this talk goes for 100 minutes? Whoa. <laughs> He, he sort of at the start he gives a short talk which is polygamy don't do it and then he gives the long talk which is a hundred minutes <laughs> and so you strap in and you go hard <laughs> you go hard i mean i was listening in the car and listening while chopping vegetables and things like that but um mm. uh yeah it's just been um quite amazing the things i haven't even finished yet the things that have struck me is that um how polygamy polygamy is is normal in ma- many parts of the world, maybe mm. legal in 50 countries. Like recently in Kenya, it was legalised so that a, a woman has, has no say if her husband wants to take another wife. It's it's just a mm. thing that happens. Mm. And he made the good point about how Australia likes to see itself as multicultural. Um, but if we are multicultural, why do we not permit polygamy? Um, mm. so because it's, it's part of yeah, just many different cultures. Mm. Yes, if you want to welcome different cultures in our culture and be multicultural, we should have a high tolerance of polygamy, you know, for, for people whose wow. culture that's appropriate for. I mean, he's not saying that, but he's saying that to be consistent with the philosophy of multiculturalism, yeah, mm. it's uh, mm. things like that. And so um, that was all sort of setting us up, getting us thinking, <laughs> and then he's yeah. off into uh, all the different parts of the Bible and uh, then how it fits with the unfolding story of uh, of the gospel pointing to Jesus. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we haven't got to conclusions yet, but I'm loving the the cultural analysis, the detail in the text, uh, and the biblical theological approach. So it's mm. it's not just great for polygamy as a topic. It's great for, hey, this is how you can and should tackle a difficult topic in the Bible. Mm. Mm. Um, so... Uh, Yes, enjoying it. I'll put a link up into the uh, show notes if mm. you've got to spare 100 minutes <laughs> and, and yeah. it interests you. Uh, it's really good. So a question I have as you're talking and mm. I'm wondering, say we had a friend whose mother is in a polygamous marriage. Um, so yeah. It's very cultural for them and she might be the third wife, for instance. Yeah. And this friend has become a Christian and she's looking on to um, – her family structure and her family makeup. How would you encourage her from the Bible about that? How would you like? Where would you go if because it's it's it? You'd want her to, to engage with a lecture or something like this. But actually, in the moment, to listen oh, to yeah. someone and they're, they're saying, "I'm really struggling with this idea of now with polygamy. I can see it's not good." Where would you go in the Bible? Do you think to respond yeah. to that person? Oh wow! Yes. Well, look, I've, um, some places I would go. Um, Apart from sort of looking at polygamous relationships and Bible, that's be quite a long place. I think one Corinthians seven has something to say say here that about mm. each person remaining in the situation they are in, mm. um, married, free, circumcised, uncircumcised. Um, that doesn't exactly include her position, but I would probably mm. read that and reflect on that. Mm. Um, and um, yeah. I would be probably yeah slow to speak and 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 keen to hear her story and and yeah uh, yeah and uh, yeah be very cautious about telling her what to do but um, mm. 
yeah, 1 Corinthians 7 perhaps. And mm, um, I like that. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's other passages. But, um, mm. it, yeah, it is a, a, a genuine question. Um, and, and as uh, Australian culture welcomes more people from Africa or, or um, our laws change again, you know, this is potentially, you know, in our, in our world a lot more. Yeah, that's right. And I, I'd love to be the kind of Christian who understands how to respond to someone who's saying, oh, actually, as I look at my family, it's very different from the sort of Judeo-Christian norms of Australia. Mm. Um, yeah. From, you know, that we've had traditionally in the last 200 years. And so um, as I look at those things, this is what I'm sharing and I'm thinking about and, and having a conversation where that's a safe conversation to have. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm, and then getting to the Bible and trusting yeah. God together. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fascinating, Richard. <laughs> there you go, Joe. Polygamy. Yep, interesting topic. More to think uh, about. Plenty more to think about. Mm. I think we're uh, out of time, so we've – but it's been great chatting about uh, the uh, the Jomo, mm. fish tank quandary. <laughs> Luke in the temple. Luke uh, in the temple. Sorry, Jesus in the temple Jesus in Luke. In Luke. And uh, polygamy, which yeah. I, I think I'll have to add that to my listen to my listening <laughs> list. Yeah, that I never get to the bottom of. <laughs> yeah, one of your long drives. All right, that's right. Well, lovely to talk, Richard. I'll talk to you another time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. 